Thank you for tuning in to the Sermon of the Week podcast, a work of Scattered Abroad, which is overseen by the East Hill Church of Christ in Pulaski, Tennessee. You can find our website at scatteredabroad.org. In this podcast, we seek to sow the Word of God by spreading the gospel message. Each episode is a lesson that was presented from one of your hosts within this network. We hope that this will benefit your study and your walk with Christ. Good morning. You never get over that feeling of taking this off. That feels so good. This morning, we're asking the most important question any of us will ever ask. What must I do to be saved? The Bible is a book of redemption. This is God's message to us on how we can be saved. And what that means is that ultimately, this entire book is the answer to the question of what must I do to be saved? Because if it is a book of redemption, then that is ultimately what's being said. In these pages, we find God's plan of salvation. The problem is that all different kinds of people have all different kinds of ideas about how we can be saved. And perhaps the the most hotly contested subject surrounding this concept of salvation is baptism. Do I have to be baptized in order to be saved? You may tell me yes. Someone else will tell me no. Then the response to that usually is, well, yes, you do. And then there's another, no, you don't. And we go around and around and around until eventually someone opens up a Bible. And what usually happens at that point is the person who doesn't think that baptism is necessary for salvation points to verses that say something about faith or belief. And the person who does think that it is necessary points to verses that say something about baptism. And we just go around and around and around and we just sink deeper and deeper into the mire. This morning, what I would like to suggest to you is that the problem is not belief. And the problem is not baptism. The problem is that our religious friends and family have a misunderstanding of faith. And if we all understood faith in the biblical sense, baptism wouldn't be an issue at all. You know, we shouldn't disagree with our religious friends and family when we don't have to. We should agree with them when we can. So when someone says that we are saved by faith, we should say, yes, we are. The Bible teaches it. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith. There's no honest way that I know of to disagree with that. But the Bible also teaches that we're saved by grace. Same same book, same author, one chapter earlier. Romans chapter 3 and verse 24, Having been justified freely by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So the Bible says that we're saved by grace and faith. That is the Bible's plan of salvation in short. And we're going to expand on that. But I want you to see where Paul connects these ideas. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. Open your Bible there with me, if you will. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. In this text, Paul connects the words that he used in Romans chapter 3 and in Romans chapter 5. Ephesians 2, 8, same writer as in Romans. Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. There are... There are our words, faith and grace. 
That is the Bible's plan of salvation. By grace, through faith. And that's how it is throughout the Bible. Have you ever noticed that in the book of Hebrews, a book in which the the author is desperate to convince New Testament Christians to remain faithful, to have a faith that saves. Over and over again, he points to Old Testament examples. We saw some of those in our reading this morning. It began in Hebrews 11 and verse 4, where he said, By faith, Abel. So the very faith that the New Testament Christians was the very faith that Abel had. And not just Abel. It's the same faith that Enoch had and Abraham had. And we could go on and on with those examples. We can better understand New Testament concepts of salvation by studying Old Testament examples of salvation. What we're going to see this morning is that throughout the Bible, God's plan of salvation is the same. By grace, through faith. The only thing that changes are the commands sandwiched between the grace and the faith. So ultimately, we're going to answer our question of what must I do to be saved. But I want you to see this morning that if we were to ask that exact same question throughout the Bible, the answer would be the same every single time. Turn to, the, turn to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 6. Genesis 6, as we walk through the Bible and see God's plan of salvation. Genesis 6 is the first time that salvation on a broad scale, if you will, is introduced. There are three examples that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to begin here in Genesis 6 with a boat. Then we're going to go to Joshua and look at a building. And then to the New Testament and look at a body. And we can look at so many different examples this morning that, that prove the same points. But because of our time limits, and you'll notice that I'm talking pretty fast. We've got, we've got a lot to cover. But because of our time limits, we're going to focus on a boat, a building, and a body. So let's begin here in Genesis 6 with a boat. All three of these things are going to have the exact same things in every account. There's always going to be a problem. There's always going to be... A person. There's always going to be a punishment. There's always going to be a place. There's always going to be a plan. And there's always going to be pardon. The same exact six things every single time. Genesis 6 is no different. There is a problem. If we're talking about salvation, there, there must be something to be saved from. There must be a problem. And that problem is always the same. The problem is sin. Here in Genesis 6, we see that problem. Look at verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's the problem. And every time there is a problem, punishment will come. God will judge sin. Look at verse number 7. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Sin. The problem brings about punishment. Now, with regard to salvation, there is also always a person. God uses people to bring about his plan of salvation. Here in Genesis 6, that person is Noah. Look at verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There's the person. There's also always a plan. The plan here in Genesis 6 begins in verse number 14. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. And on and on and on. There's the plan, and there is the place inside the ark. I suppose it would take a whole different study to explain to to us, to help us understand why we need God's grace. But a good place to start would be in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. 
In that text, the reason why we need God's grace is because we can't read His mind. God could decide to judge us. And if He didn't tell us how to escape the punishment, how would we ever have any chance of escaping the punishment? We wouldn't even know the punishment was coming in the first place. So look at verse number 7. I want you to see this illustrated. Look at verse number 7, and then look at verse number 13. And let's notice a slight difference. Verse 7 of Genesis 6. So the Lord said, I will destroy man. Let me ask you this. To whom is God talking? The verse just says, so the Lord said. When you read through the text, it seems that this is the Godhead communicating amongst themselves. That this is the Godhead talking amongst themselves. Because when you look at verse number 13, it reads just a little bit different. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. Wait, I thought that decision was already made. It was. That decision was made back in verse number 7. But in between verse number 7 and verse number 13 is verse number 8. Noah found grace in God's eyes. And according to Titus 2, verses 11 and 12, the grace of God that brings salvation teaches. God had decided to judge man. Now the grace of God would teach man how to avoid that judgment. Now let's say that you're Noah. You're living your life just like you always have. And then God appears to you and he tells you, I'm going to destroy the world. Build a boat. Let me ask you this. Do you build it? Would you build the ark? If you would, why? There's only one reason to build that boat. Faith. God said, I'm going to destroy the world. Now, you have two questions. Can he do it? And will he do it? And this is why Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because if I don't believe God when he says that he's going to do something, I insult one of two things. Either his power or his character. Either I don't believe that he or that he can do it, which is an insult to absolute power, or I don't believe that he will do it, which is an insult to perfect character. So Noah, you have two options. Either you believe that he is going to do it, that, that he can do it, and that he will do it, or you don't. Either you have faith, or you don't. And this is where our religious friends misunderstand faith. Because faith is one of two options. Our religious friends say that faith is my believing what God says. They say that faith is, is all in here. It's merely mental assent. That's the first option. The second option is that, biblically speaking, faith is my believing what God says and my doing whatever He says. That is biblical faith. And that, combined with God's grace, is what saved the people of the Bible. What does that look like in Noah's case? Hebrews 11 and verse 7. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of, of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Noah knew that in order to be saved from the punishment that was coming, he needed God's grace. He needed that teaching that God's grace provided. And then he needed the faith to obey whatever God's grace taught. That is the biblical plan of salvation. When we talk about salvation, what we're talking about is the grace of God and the faith of man. And between the two, whatever it is, God spells out. And the reason I say whatever God spells out is because it changes throughout the Bible with different people. How many people built an ark? Nobody besides Noah. But a whole lot of people in the Bible were saved from something. So how were they saved? 
the exact same way. You have God's grace, you have man's faith, and in between the two, you have man obeying God's commands. We see another example of this in our second point, Joshua chapter 2. Joshua 2, we're going to look at the building. In this chapter, we're introduced to a woman named Rahab. And those same things that we talked about with Noah are here as well. There is a problem. Jericho is going to be destroyed. Rahab knew well that problem. She said in Joshua chapter 2 and verse 9 that that the Lord has given you the land. But we might argue that, that ultimately the problem is sin. Because in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 16, God told Abraham that his descendants would come back to the land and conquer it when the iniquity of the Amorites was full. So the Amorites are the people who lived in Canaan, who lived in Jericho, we might say. And so now that they've been sinning for generation after generation after generation, God is judging them. This is, this is God dispensing judgment for their sin. And the judgment, the, the punishment, is complete destruction. If we fast forward in the, in the study to Joshua 6 and verse 21, it says that they utterly destroyed all that was in the city. There's also always a person. In this case, the person is Rahab. In Joshua 2 verses 18 through 20, the spies tell Rahab the plan. And what's that plan? Get in the house, hang the thread out the window, and you will be saved. Also, there is the place. There's always a place. In this case, it is Rahab's house. It's the building. And within that place, there is pardon. Because Rahab does what they say. Back in 2 verse 9, Rahab said, I know that the Lord has given you the lamb. She knows what's going to happen. She knows the punishment. Now, it's a matter of faith. The spies essentially tell her, if you believe that we're going to destroy the land, here's what you do. Let me ask you this. If you were Rahab, what would you do? Would you have said, you know, all I need to do is just believe that the spies and and their people are going to destroy the land. I I don't have to really do anything. No, the the spies were, were very specific. If you want to be saved, you do this. But, but what if someone told you, Rahab, you think your house is so special? You think there's only one house of salvation in all of Jericho? Rahab, my house is as good as your house. No, there was one ark. And there was one house. And all the saved were inside the ark. And all the saved were inside the house. How did they get there? By God's grace, through their faith. It's the same throughout the Bible. What I'm saying to you is that this is a book of redemption. And throughout this book, redemption or or salvation works the same way. You need God's grace, you need man's faith, and you need man to obey the commands that God's grace teaches. We usually define grace as unmerited favor. And that's what it is. It's, It's God doing us a favor. God's going to offer us something. God is going to give us something. In Joshua 6 and verse 1, God told Joshua, I have given Jericho into your hand. Okay, there's grace. He has given Jericho into Joshua's hand. But you'll notice that in 6.1, Joshua doesn't yet possess Jericho. And that's how it is throughout the Bible. God gives grace, but at that moment, we don't have possession of the thing given. Genesis 6 verse 8, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Is there an ark yet? Is Noah saved yet? Not in 6 verse 8. Why? 
Because grace teaches, and Noah hadn't had the teaching yet. Joshua 6, God told Joshua, I've given you Jericho. Once again, God has given grace, but you don't yet have possession of the thing given. When do you get possession of it? When faith is demonstrated. Because we're saved by grace through faith. And faith does whatever God says. Here in Joshua 6, he tells them to march around the walls. Let me ask you this. Do you march? Walking around the walls of a city usually isn't a good battle plan. But that's one of the most interesting things about faith. Because in faith, God isn't asking us to trust ourselves. We're being asked to trust His power and His character. So, if you've never seen a flood, or a lot of people think Noah had never seen rain. If you've never seen rain, you know what faith does? It builds a boat. And and if you want to conquer a city, I know what you do. You, you leave your armor, you leave your weapons, you leave your battle plans at the house, and you walk around. And if you're scared to death because a giant army is going to conquer your land and it's going to destroy your house, you know what faith does? It gets in the house and it stays in there and it hangs a thread out the window. Faith isn't trusting what makes sense to me or, or what I think is right or what I would do if it was up to me. It's leaving all of that to God. Will you do that? Over and over again, the Hebrews writer points to Old Testament examples for those New Testament saints. And in verse 30, he says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after they were encircled for seven days. When did the walls fall? Not when grace was given, but when faith was demonstrated. It works that way all the way through the Bible. By grace, through faith, via obeying the instructions in the middle. So I'm repeating this over and over again because the story is the exact same throughout the Bible. How's your leprosy going to be cured, Naaman? Same way. By grace, through faith. But I'm going to have to dip in the Jordan seven times first. How are we going to observe the Passover, Israelites? Same way. By grace, through faith. But we're going to have to put the blood out on the doorpost. How are we going to cross the Red Sea? By grace, through faith. But we're going to have to raise the staff. And we're going to have to start moving before God ever parts the waters. God gives a plan. The only question is, are we going to obey that plan? Now, we come to the New Testament. And we're going to see that that the exact same thing is here, that we've seen throughout the rest of this book of redemption. There is a problem. That problem is sin. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Guess what? You have a problem, and I have a problem. And that problem is the same problem that everybody has had since the beginning of time. It's sin. That problem brings about punishment. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death. God will judge sin. But, but that's not the end of Romans 6.23. Paul says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's the person. There's God's person. He is the only person who can save us from sin. John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4 and verse 12, the apostles were talking about Jesus when they said, Nor is there salvation in any other, 
For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And what, what a beautiful prayer we had this morning for our opening prayer. He nailed it right on the, on the head of the nail. We need God's grace. We need man's faith. And we need the blood of Christ. He is the only person who can save us. First John 4 and verse 14. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the entire world. There's only one person who can bear that burden. And his name is Jesus. What's his plan? Mark 16 and verse 15. He said, go and preach the gospel to every creature. And this is where the rubber really meets the road in this sermon. Because that declaration that the, the, the apostles and us are to go and, and preach the gospel to every creature brings up a question. What is that gospel? Paul answers that question. I want you to see it. 1 Corinthians 15. See it in your Bible. 1 Corinthians 15. This is the same writer as Romans, same writer as Ephesians. Paul is going to explain to us what the gospel is. Okay, in verse 1, and if you get there, we're going to read verses 3 and 4. But in verse 1, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached unto you. Okay, so he says, this is the gospel. I'm repeating it so you can be reminded of what I told you in the first place. What is that gospel? He tells us in verses 3 and 4. For I delivered, now, now remember that word, that's a key word. I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Okay, verse 1, Paul says, I'm going to tell you the gospel. Verses 3 and 4, he tells us what that gospel is. It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Okay, now we have another question. If we are saved by obeying the gospel... How can we obey an event? How can we obey the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? The answer begins in that word that we pointed out, the word delivered. That word points us back to Romans chapter 6 and verse 17. Romans 6, 17, same author, Paul, and he is going to use that word again. He says, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but have obeyed from the heart, that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Okay, Paul says that the people who he's writing to were lost, but now they're saved. How did they get there? By obeying the form of doctrine which was delivered to them. The Greek word translated form in this verse literally means a mold or, or a type. It's an example. If you, take, if you take melted metal and you pour it into a mold and allow it to, to dry, allow it to cool, and then take it out, what do you have? You have a replica of that mold, right? That's the idea of this Greek word. They, they obeyed the form, the, the example, the mold of doctrine. What was that mold? Remember that, that key word delivered that we saw in 1 Corinthians 15, and we see it once again here in Romans 6. What was that mold? What was that doctrine that they obeyed? Look back at verse 4, 3 and 4 of Romans 6. Paul says, there, uh, Paul says in verse 3, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Do you see a similarity there between that verse and 1 Corinthians 15. 
In both of them, we have the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. But in Romans 6, you have someone reenacting, as it were, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. You have us going down into the waters of baptism, killing ourselves, going down into that watery grave, and then coming up as a new man, a man that God has made. That is how we obey the gospel. If the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, and that was delivered to them. And then Paul says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 17 that he had delivered a doctrine to them which they had reenacted, which they had followed the example by obeying. And then in verse 3 and 4, we see what that was. They went down into the water of gave a baptism, and they came up again. They obeyed the gospel by doing the same thing spiritually that Jesus did physically. They died to themselves and were resurrected to live a new life. There is only one plan to save mankind. That's it. Anybody who does not follow that plan cannot be saved. But if we do follow that plan, we're put into a place. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. When we're in that place, we have pardon. 2 Timothy 2, uh, verse 10. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. There's always a place. Salvation is in the ark. Nobody is saved outside of it. Salvation is in Rahab's house. Nobody is saved outside of it. Salvation is in Christ. Can you finish the sentence? If nobody is saved outside of Christ, I had better get into Christ. Galatians 3 and verse 27 tells us how to do it. It says that we obey the gospel, that we are baptized into Christ. How does that work? God gave His Son. There's grace. It is the greatest gift that mankind has ever been given. What have we been saying this whole time? Grace teaches. Paul said it first, Titus 2, 11 and 12. The grace of God that brings salvation teaches. So when God gave His Son, when He gave us that grace, that grace had to teach us something. So Jesus gave us commands. He gave us a plan that we must follow to be saved. What's that plan? Mark 16 and verse 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. It's simple. Jesus said, you believe, you, you be baptized, and then I'll save you. Friend, it's not a question of belief versus baptism. In the Bible, belief does whatever grace teaches. If you can honestly say, if, if I were Noah, I would have built that ark, then you would have been saved. If you can honestly say that, that if you were Rahab, you would have gotten into your house and, and hung the thread out the window, then you would have been saved. If you were Joshua and you would have obeyed God and marched around the walls, God would have rewarded you by giving you the city. And if you were Naaman and you would have dipped seven times in the Jordan, you would have been cleansed. Friend, if you were in Acts 2 and someone in the crowd called out, what must we do? And one of the apostles, one of the men inspired directly by the Holy Spirit, one of the men who had just spent three years with Jesus, Peter, responded and he said, Repent and let every one of you be baptized for the remission of your sins. Would you have done it? 
You see, the truth of the matter is, if you wouldn't have done that, you probably wouldn't have built the ark. If you won't do that, you wouldn't have gotten into the house and, and let the cord out the window. If you won't do that, you, you wouldn't have marched around the city. You wouldn't have gone and dipped seven times in the Jordan. You wouldn't have put the blood out on the doorpost because in every single one of those instances, God isn't asking us to do anything but trust Him. And it's the same with baptism. It's the same with answering the question of what must I do to be saved? If I don't have enough faith in God to get into that baptistry, after he told me to do it. That's why I'm going to go to hell for eternity. There's nothing sadder in the world than someone who knows the truth, someone who can see it in their own Bible, but doesn't have the faith in God to obey it. I say this with all the love in my heart, but if that is you this morning, There is no reason on earth or out of it why you should walk out of those doors without obeying the gospel. There is no reason that you can come up with that I can come up with why you shouldn't do that this morning. If you need to make your life right with God, won't you do it as we stand and as we sing? Won't you obey the gospel this morning? Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Scattered Abroad Network. If you would like to email us, you can do so at thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. That's thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. Remember, you can check the show notes below for all of our social media platform links. Also, don't forget that you can find us on all major podcast platforms, and please leave us a rating or review. We hope and pray that this has helped you grow closer to Christ, even though we are scattered abroad. May God bless you.